From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents, the comeback to Teeing It Up uh, of Alyssa Rose. Hello, Alyssa. Welcome back to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schelling. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I have missed this very much. Me being back on your show means baseball is back, so that means good things. How concerned were you over the winter that this might not happen? You know, not at all, to be honest. I knew that they were going to play. It was too, I mean, listen, everything they were fighting over was money, right? When are you really going to lose money when you don't play? So they were going to find a way to play. I got a little nervous when they suspended those games originally. But my dad had said, um, I guarantee you they're going to play 162. And then when they uh, canceled that first series, he said, I guarantee you they're going to play 162. And I said, how could you be so sure? He said, because I'm sure. And then they had to cancel more games, and they're still going to play 162. So my dad was so confident that it made it pretty easy for me to be so confident, especially when it's over money. You're going to lose money if you don't play. So they were going to play. You, hey, you've got a good source to go to, you know, when I do, I have. And listen, he didn't know anything either. You know, it was all up to the owners and the players, and obviously the broadcasters have nothing to do with those decisions. (laughs) But his confidence gave me all the confidence in the world. You know what's interesting about where, where you sit, which is that you are the classic baseball fan that is the same way that I am with, with uh, golf, where, you know, like, like someone has a wedding and I'm looking at what golf tournament I, I, I might be missing that weekend. For you and your family, your calendar just must seem right for baseball to be here on, on as we talk, April 11th. If it's not, then it must feel bizarre. I mean, that start of spring training when there was no spring training must have felt very odd. Yeah, it did. Um, but at the same time, honestly, all I was thinking about this offseason was how excited I was to see DeGrom back on the mound. Like, I was just waiting for DeGrom, 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 and now that DeGrom is hurt and we don't really know when we're seeing him again, it almost feels a little anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. I was really waiting more for DeGrom than I was waiting for the return of the Mets. Interesting. So let's actually go there first, which is he's pitching great in spring training and then he gets hurt, and the question instantly becomes depth because the Mets added so much offense in this offseason, plus Max Scherzer. They went on this spending spree, and now the question is do you have the pitching depth to be able to make up for not having DeGrom for maybe half the season. So are you encouraged by A, the moves that Sandy made, and then B, the fact that in that spot start, uh, uh, Tyler McGill looked very solid uh, um, when opening day came last week? Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, I was really nervous about Tyler Miguel getting that opening day start because he was really, really good his first couple of starts last season and then really, really not every start after that. Um, So I was a little worried about Miguel. I felt the exact same way about David Peterson, who I'm pretty sure didn't break camp. I think he's still in the minors. Um, And then, you know, there were a lot of questions about Carlos Carrasco, who did a great job um, in his first appearance. Um, you know, Chris Bassett, they also added pretty close to the end of the offseason. And Chris Bassett 
is a great number three. He could easily be a number two, even a number one in other rotations. Ty Walker is another one where he was just lights out the entire first half of last season, and then he gave up a home run in the All-Star game, and then he couldn't stop giving up home runs. So Tywan Walker is actually getting the start tonight for the Mets. I'm really, really nervous. Uh, I don't want to say nervous. I'm anxious to see how he does because he, uh, he didn't have the greatest last start in spring training either. He's an injury-prone guy. So I think kind of the moral of the story when it comes to pitching and pitching depth is there really are only so many reliable pitchers in baseball. The fact that we had two starters when DeGrom is not healthy and Bassett and Scherzer that you can be, you know, very, very confident in anytime they hit the mound. Nobody has more than three great starters across the league. And everyone's relief pitching, you know, for the most part is pretty shaky, right? Relief pitchers for the most part aren't the most reliable. It's why they're relievers, not starters. So... Um, I feel okay about the Mets pitching. It's interesting that you bring up, you know, the depth that they brought in their lineup because I'm actually more concerned about their offense than I am their pitching. That's interesting because I was going to uh, um, ask you about your ongoing campaign to get Dom Smith into the everyday starting lineup. What is it about what uh, 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 what is it about how Buck Showalter has laid out this lineup initially that has you concerned? Listen, Buck Showalter is a baseball god, right? He's baseball royalty. I'm never going to question any decisions that he makes. I'm not in the clubhouse, certainly not anymore. Um, And I don't know what goes on behind the scenes anymore the way that I used to. That being said, I think there's a lot to say about a quote-unquote locker room guy. Like, I think that Dom, when Dom is on, when he is at peak Dom Smith, He's a weapon at the plate, and I just think that he is a better defensive first baseman than Pete Alonso. It is not at all an argument that Alonso was a 40-home-run-a-year guy, and we need him in the lineup every day, but that's the beauty of having the DH in the NL now is it really gives you so much more freedom to toy around with your lineup. And, you know, I tweeted something last night about Dom being a better first baseman, and people were saying it's only one game. How can you get on Pete like that? But there have been a couple of instances already in this very short season where Pete's done things at first base that have made me nervous. There are things that Cano has done at second base that, you know, have made me really nervous. And that's the beauty of having the DH, that you can kind of move people around and let them play their natural positions because you know you've got the bat in the lineup anyway at the DH spot. So I think that... We're very lucky in the sense that our people who we could play as DHs um, are also, you know, great everyday players. It's not like they can't field their position. Um, the people that we can use as a DH are also fine as far as fielding their positions go. I think it's just a matter of, you know, deciding when you're going to value offense over defense. And I trust Buck Walter implicitly. I wouldn't question the moves that he's made thus far. As we talk to Alyssa Rose here on Teeing It Up, let's now look at why you have overall concerns about this lineup because that's just the infield. What it, uh, uh, what in totality has you concerned about this lineup um, and I mean, how it is currently constructed? Yeah, I would say what has me a little bit concerned is just the, the talent, I guess. It maybe is the wrong word, but the power and the ability to string together, you know, rallies and things like that. I mean, uh, we lost Conforto, although he was not great at all offensively 
uh, last season. It's why, unfortunately, he's not sitting on a major league roster right now. Uh, but, you know, we're getting to know back after, after a year suspension, and he's on the older side. So, yes, he can hit, but, again, he is on the older side. How much do we really know is left in the tank? Uh, at third base, you know, it would have been nice to have gotten a massive name at third base, maybe like a Chris Bryant. Uh, we're, I think we're still missing that big bat. We have Francisco Lindor, and it's great if he starts to play like the Francisco Lindor that we signed to the biggest contract, like, ever on the Mets, right? Like, just a massive, massive deal. And Lindor just, you know, hasn't been who... We signed him to be. So when you're signing a superstar player and expecting that to be the bulk of the offense or at least to put you in the position to win at all times and you're not getting that, that's where I get a little bit nervous. Of, okay, who else really is going to be able to step up? And I do think that Dom Smith is one of those guys, which is why I'm such a proponent of having him in the lineup more often. Hmm. It's a good point. And it's a valid point. And it's one that, that you guys will have to navigate, especially on the days where you will need runs just because of who's on the mound, um, who may not be right. a... a you know, I, spend, I spend so much time on Twitter, so much time elsewhere talking about how amazing it is that finally the Mets have an owner with, you know, unlimited money who's just ready to spend at all times. And I never realized until recently that as much as that's a blessing... There's kind of also a curse element to it, too, right? Because Lindor's deal was what? I think it was 14 years for $381 million or something like that. And where that becomes a problem is if after three, four years you're not getting the production out of him that you want, you can't trade him because no one else can afford to take on that contract. Exactly. It's, it's basically just the people across town. And, and as a Yankee fan, we're frustrated with the fact that you know, they didn't uh, go out and, and find, you know, one of the great shortstops. And they and they let uh, um, Story head up to Boston. So, you know, it's... Which is crazy because the Red Sox have Bogarts. Like, the last thing the Red Sox needed was a shortstop. <laughs> yes. It, that whole situation was just bizarre how that all ended up. Um, I mean, but, good for Trevor Story, though. Get that bag. Yeah, and and clearly um, that was just a wild end to free agency, the trade market, spring training, and everything in between. Um, and you guys will uh, you guys will need a huge uh, year out of Starling. Uh, 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 excuse me, Starling Marte as well. The interesting thing awesome. about the thing about Buckshaw Walter that I find fascinating is that we're in what game. One game five is starting in a half hour. Right, game one, Pete gets hit. Game three, no, game two, somebody else gets hit, and then we, you know, bench is clear, bullpen's clear. As a fan, he's an old school guy. Obviously, are you excited to see somebody who, in game two of the year, is already making sure that that his guys aren't getting hit, or is that? Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, all Mets fans wanted the last couple of seasons were for Luis Rojas to do anything. You know, we didn't think that he had nearly any fire or passion in him. And we didn't really see much out of Buck as far as the National Series went uh, with getting hit by the pitches. Because to be completely honest, I don't think any of those were intentional. The Nationals can't pitch. <laughs> that is true. They are lacking in that department. I mean, I don't know if you remember this. When Joe Kelly was... Um, Joe Kelly was practicing in his backyard in the spring before a season started and he broke a window in his own house 
Yeah. Because he just has absolutely no command whatsoever of his fastball. And then when the Dodgers were playing the Astros and he threw at Correa, and it, you know, it wasn't intentional, they had words. The Nationals have an entire pitching staff of Joe Kelly. That's just they have no idea where the ball is going when it leaves their hands. And I don't know how much of that is just attributed to the fact that, again, like they just don't have too much talent on their roster and how much it has to do with the fact that, you know, no one really knows what the rules are or what they're going to be or what's going to get banned as far as what substances are considered legal anymore. Everyone knows the rosin and the sunscreen is fine and that's expected. But, you know, Trevor May has a great video. I've watched it again recently where he explains why sticky stuff for a pitcher is important. And it has to do with the way they grip the ball. So obviously spider tack is bad, and the reason that it's illegal is because it increases the RPM. It makes the ball move differently. It makes it a lot harder to hit. That is a problem. That should not be allowed. However, sticky-ish substances to help them grip the ball, if they don't have that, the ball is too slippery. And they have no control over where the ball is going when it leaves their hands because of the consistency of the ball. And not only are hitters going to get hurt because they're going to get hit by pitches, but pitchers are really, really, really going to mess up their arms. Because if you can grip the ball from your elbow to throw, right, which is what you're doing when you can control the ball, is you can put power from your elbow, great. But when you can't control the ball because it's too slippery, you're throwing from your wrist, and pitchers are going to absolutely destroy their arms, and it's going to be irreparable damage. So I think that before I can really worry about players getting hit by pitches, I'm worried about pitchers ruining their arms if they don't figure out exactly what substances are legal. And it makes you wonder, with somebody like DeGrom, how exactly did he get hurt, and is the training methods that these guys are having to do, have they been altered? Because I think of. they have to be. I mean, look at a guy like Garrett Crochet on the White Sox. He consistently throws 104, just out of his mind hard. And that's the way that the game is moving. If pitchers are throwing harder and faster, it's because they can grip the ball. It happened the second they got rid of fighter tack last year, what happened? Tyler Glass now needed Tommy John. Garrett Crochet, who consistently throws 104, he's out for the season. Right before the season started, it was announced that he needed Tommy John. We are going to see so many pitchers go down with Tommy John. And DeGrom is a freak of nature, and he recovered from Tommy John and became the best pitcher in the world. But how many times is that going to happen? Usually coming off of Tommy John, you're not what you were. Or you're, you don't become, you know, Spider-Man. It's like DeGrom got the Tommy John surgery, and it's like he got superpowers. It's not going to be that way with the rest of the league. Yeah. Uh, even, I'm not sure when this list came in. Uh, this was updated as of as of today. Jacob Degrom is still the thirteenth ranked guy by Vegas insiders, having the best odds to win the National League Most Valuable Player. Yeah, which he just should, shows I mean, you he should be. I mean, it's hard because who knows when we're seeing him again? My guess is not until at, like right before the All Star break. But I mean, he is just the best pitcher ever, ever. And he only gets better every year. It's crazy. He's a specimen. What I think is also interesting is that the rosin bag, I think there are some in management who think that the rosin bag is enough. And I wonder 
if because of all these injuries and now that the labor negotiations are done and they can focus more on the on-field stuff, I wonder if there's going to be an examination of what exactly can work because if the rosin bag isn't enough and the point was to just get the rosin bag and then whatever natural uh, uh, dirt you know comes up, if that's not enough, then there's got to be something else or else we're going to have a player safety issue. And, and that's not what anyone wants because these pitchers are coming out of college you know, all, already throwing 98, 99, 100, and their mechanics are only going to get better because of modern technology. And, Correct. And the way that they learn off video from these pitching coaches. So the point that you bring up, which I think is, is fascinating, and, and I'm so glad you made those tweets over the weekend, is that I feel like maybe with the labor negotiations gone, they can actually sit down and try to figure this out from a positive working perspective and not a skeptical working perspective because Correct. that's... I mean, baseball? Yeah. Good. No, no, no. Because this whole thing about trust has been such a huge issue from the get-go and maybe now the owners and players have a morsel of trust where they can actually sit down and try to get through this naturally and make sure everybody's okay. Yeah, I think the thing is, baseball's biggest issue has always been growing the game. They're not good at innovating. They're not good at changing with the times. And one of those things is the game has changed in the sense that the players are just more talented now than they were before. Pitchers are able to do things now than they weren't able to do before. And you know what the biggest thing that hinders the growth of baseball? Superstar players not playing. Guys yes. like Jacob DeGrom not playing for the first half of the season. Or guys like Garrett Crochet, who's an absolute freak phenomenon, missing an entire season because he's blown his arm out. I mean, don't get me started on, like, Fernando Tatis, who, you know, injures himself in a motorcycle accident and is asked how he hurt himself in the motorcycle accident, and his response is, which one? Like, let's not, let's not do things to keep yourself outside of baseball off the, off the field. But you need to figure out a way to keep younger fans engaged and younger fans getting excited about baseball. And the way that they're going to get excited is when they're watching superstars do their thing. So if baseball wants to stop, you know, people who are not fans of baseball from saying baseball is dead, no one cares about baseball, blah, 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 you might want to find a way to innovate to make sure that your players stay healthy and on the field so that your product is one people are excited about. Amen to that we have Alyssa rose with us here on teeing it up cross town the yankee story has been you know situational hitting and the lack thereof and um brian cashman thinks that the acquisition of josh donaldson connor falefa um kyle higashioka behind the plate will be a better defensive team and a better situational hitter uh, hitting an offensive team. And you just talked about how the game's changing in terms of home run strikeouts and, and pitchers. Uh, and, and, and I pitchers, did uh, Yes, and, and pitchers uh, uh, throwing you know, 9,000 miles per hour. When you look at this Yankee roster, what comes to mind in terms of where you think their ceiling can be? The Yankees are a very interesting team to me because on paper, if you look at a lineup that has Josh Donaldson, Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, Aaron Judge, 
Giancarlo Stanton, right? Like, you should look at that lineup and say this team is a shoo-in to win the World Series. Yep. And for some reason, they just aren't. And I don't know if that has to do with the fact that, you know, Judge has a lot of trouble staying healthy. Stanton has trouble staying healthy. You know, their pitching's been a little off. Um, Gallo decided to, you know, get traded to the Bronx and then just forget how to play baseball. Um, Donaldson, last night, struck out looking in, like, three times. For the first time ever in his career, that's a man he's had almost 5,000 plate appearances. That stat blew my mind when I saw it last night. That When that. I saw that, when he, when uh, the broadcast said last night that that was the first time in his career that he had three backwards K's in one game, I said, I've got to look up on Baseball Reference how many games he's played, how many plate appearances, how many at-bats, and my jaw dropped. Josh Donaldson is a specimen, and I think to be completely honest, that the biggest issues that the Yankees have are all coming from the top. I think that no one has any respect for Cashman. I think nobody understands what the hell Aaron Boone is doing managing the New York Yankees. I get it. He had one awesome home run that one time. And, like, he, you know, was a player. And that's all great. But give me one instance of a time where you watched the Yankee game since Aaron Boone has been the manager and you said, yep, he definitely made the right call there. You can't. So no. you can only do as much as you can do with talent, but at the end of the day, management and in-game decisions matter so much. And I think that Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman are the biggest problems the New York Yankees have. I don't think it's really roster stuff so much. No, and just to piggyback on something you said, it's also Glaber Torres going backwards. It's uh, Gary Sanchez going backwards, which then led to him being traded. It were these pieces that were supposed to see... Uh, 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 um, uh, supposed to follow the core four that haven't lived up to the hype of the core four and the baby bombers or whatever you want to call them. And and that, I think, is part of their problem. And they are in a division which has seen Toronto get markedly better and which has seen Tampa spending like $2 for every time the Yankees spend like a billion dollars just keep churning out quality players and quality wins. And it's tough to win in a division where you're not getting quality at-bats and quality starts out of your roster. And let's hope Severino is that missing piece that along with Gordon Montgomery... Yeah, if those two can back up uh, 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 Garrett Cole, then I think the Yankees have something. If not, we shall see where this uh, takes us because... Who knows where this will go eventually. Um, I'm still not even sold completely on Cole. I want to see Cole now for an entire season with no spider tax because his numbers changed pretty drastically the first few games when they banned that stuff, right? I mean, Cole had a couple of pretty lousy games last year. I don't see Garrett Cole the way that other people do, and I don't know if that's just my, like, Yankee hatred, although, you know, I'm you know, in a very serious relationship now with a huge Yankee fan who kind of forces me to root for them a little. So uh, I don't hate them as much as I used to because I don't like when he's not happy. Um, but I don't I don't see Garrett Cole the way that other people do. I get, like, genuinely upset when people have the nerve to compare Cole and DeGrom. He has like, not stepped up. They're not in the same conversation. Yeah, he has not stepped up in big spots in the playoffs. That is for sure. He had a horrible wild card game last year against the Red Sox. And the other thing about the sticky stuff 
is look what's happened to Chapman. He is so vulnerable that I do not know when he comes in a game, I have no, 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 I, I, I have 0% um, zero is a little uh, scary. I have probably 20% confidence in my closer. That's not what I want in my closer. Correct. <laughs> and that is a That's problem. Very Familia. Yeah. Familia would come into a game and I would say, here we go. How many heart attacks am I going to have? Whether or not he's going to blow the lead or blow the save or whatever it is, I know he's going to make me nervous. Yes. I know he's going to do something to make me nervous. And I don't ever want to be nervous. I just want to enjoy knowing that we have a lead. And you want to hear your dad say his phrase. and I sure do. And not have it blown. Um, we have we have the fantastic Alyssa Rose with us here on Teeing It Up. When you look across the rest of baseball, obviously you want the Mets to win. Obviously your favorite players on other teams you have to root against when they're facing the Mets. Yeah. But, but if, if it's not a Mets game, who are you tuning in to watch? That's a great question. Um, I really love watching the White Sox. I like them a lot. I'll watch any White Sox game. I think they have a really fun electric team. Um, I love the Blue Jays. I think that they are a really fun, like, firecracker team. They're a great time to watch. I love watching the Rays. I am so excited to watch a full season of Wander Franco. That is something that I cannot get enough of. Um, And who else? Who else would I say kind of excites me? Um, hmm. My answer to... an AL West team that I love. Why is my brain broken? <laughs> well, while you figure that one out, I'll give you Shohei Otani. I... Oh, thank you. It's the Angels. You just said it for me. There... There's an AL West team. Yes. Otani, thank you. A, A, can Mike Trout finally get some visibility in the playoffs, please? Like, please. No, no, they never will. <laughs> I know. It, was, I mean, Aaron Loop, they signed as a reliever. I love him. I wish that the Mets would have found a way to keep him. But when Noah Syndergaard is what, your number two, number three, I, Syndergaard is as flaky as they come. I mean, you need two to three great starters, and I don't know that they have that. And the other thing about Otani that I find fascinating is when, when you have a rule named after you because you're doing something that nobody else does that – Mm-hmm. That that there's a rule which impacts one player, you, involving the pitcher DH. I just think what he is doing is fascinating. You have been in these clubhouses. You've seen the amount of work that pitchers have to do on game day. And for Great. him to do that and then turn around and do the work that a hitter has to do to prep for everybody who comes in, including relievers. And in this, and in this time in baseball... Where you're, where you're not seeing pitchers go six, seven, eight innings unless they're the greats of the greats, it could be five, six different guys you're prepping for all while he's pitching. What he is doing blows my mind and how successful. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and it's one thing to try it for one season when you come over here, but for this to become successful is just incredible. He's just a talent unlike anything, you know, we've seen in our generation. People compare him to Babe Ruth, but I never saw Babe Ruth play, so I can only compare to what my own eyes have seen, and I've never seen anything like this. None of us have. Um, The Padres intrigue me so much because they have acquired so much talent to attempt 
to attempt to get themselves to a World Series? Have they done enough in your mind to get them to that point? We'll see. They have a new manager. You know, they were pretty pretty vocal about the fact that they were unhappy with their, their front office and their manager last season. Um, and, you know, don't forget, they're in a division with the Dodgers, who are everyone's favorite to win the World Series the last few years, and the Giants, who had an unbelievable season last year. So they're in a really, really tough division. If you were to take the Padres and throw them in the NL Central, forget about it. It wouldn't even be a competition, right? But when you're in a division like that, I mean, it's rough. It's really rough. It is rough. It, it you would throw is. them in the AL West instead of the NL West. Now you're having a different conversation. Yeah, uh, have some uh, uh, flipping and you'll be uh, looking good. You know, you brought up the Dodgers and I, 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 I laugh when the uh, Freddie Freeman signing happened. I'm like, really? The Dodgers found a way to get better. They were already loaded. Now they're going to get better. If that, that team, if that team does not make the NLCS, that's that has to be a major disappointment because this team, on paper, has every single thing necessary to become the Yankees of the late '90s, early 2000s. I mean, I think that's exactly what they're trying to do. They have the highest payroll in baseball. Yeah, and their payroll is over two hundred million dollars higher. Than the A's, and I think, I I think in their minds they made a like the signing of Freddie Freeman is something George uh, Steinbrenner would have done. Steinbrenner with the would have done absolutely. Yep, and I don't think they have any shame in the fact that it may not be homegrown talent. And they don't care; they just want to win, and I don't blame them. You know how badly I want the Mets to win. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't care if they go out and buy every single All-Star. If they're wearing a Mets uniform, that's a World Series for the Mets. Let's close with this, Alyssa. What is your ceiling for the Mets, and what do they have to do to get there? What, it, what has to happen if where you think this Mets team can go happens? You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I can't answer that question for you until after this series that starts tonight against the Phillies. Because the Phillies are by far the team in the NL that I am the most scared of. Besides the fact that what they went out and did this offseason, signing Schwarber and um, Castellanos, and, you know, they're, I mean, they're just stacked. Their lineup with Reese Hoskins, J.T. Realmuto, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, um, uh, who am I missing? The huge guy that they signed. Uh, and uh, Herrera, who's on the uh, 10-day DL. I'm sorry? Um, Herrera, who's, who's, uh, uh, Herrera, Herrera who, um, yes. who is on the uh, disabled the Yeah, They are so, so good, the Phillies. Their pitching is going to leave a bit to be desired, I think. But their lineup is just so good. And being in the same division as them, I can't tell you what I think the Mets are going to do until I tell you how the Mets mess up against them. Because as much as you know, the National Series was great and fun to watch and see the production and all of that. I think I saw a stat that said in the first two games of this season, the Mets had more hits with runners in scoring position than they did the entire last April. So they're definitely doing more and they're doing better. But again, it was against the Nationals. 
who are not anyone to kind of get excited about or write home about, but the Phillies are. So I think once we see the production against the Phillies, I'll be able to give you a much more accurate answer of where I think the potential actually lies in this team. Well, since you're in the same division, you play 19 times, let's uh, pick one of those series, and I'll have you on after it, and we'll figure out where you think the ceiling now is after having seen them play a bunch of times, some in Philly and some in New York. Um, Absolutely. It it is so good having you back on the show, Alyssa. Um, Thank you for coming on. Back on the show. Thank you for doing this, and I gave you 10 minutes to get your mindset uh, for this first game of the series. Oh, 10 minutes to just close my eyes and pray. <laughs> have faith. Have faith. It's only the sixth game of the year. Or, or a fifth. I know. Fifth. I know. Have faith. Um, All right, Dee. Thank, uh, 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 thank you, Alyssa Rose, for coming on Teeing It Up. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.